Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, Helen, thank you so much for that scripture reading. Again, welcome to you this morning. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at First Alliance Church, and a special welcome to you. If you are uh, new to Christianity and you're just tuning in, maybe asking deeper questions about life, uh, we hope that in our time together, as we get into the passage that Helen just read for us, and it's a doozy, we hope that our time together uh, helps you Uh, understand more fully who God is and what it might look like to have God in your life in a more real way than ever before. This morning, we're picking up our sermon series in Luke's gospel, and then we're going to head into the book of Acts after we're done. And we've entered a section where Luke places before us various responses to the kingdom that Jesus is announcing, to the kingdom that Jesus is explaining to people in their teaching, and the kingdom that he's demonstrating as he heals people and confronts evil and drives it out. And and here's what comes through so strong in the gospel of Luke. The decisive moment has come. God is taking the world back for himself. He's rescuing it from evil, chaos, and sin, and he is carrying out his plan for the rescue of all creation. It's so exciting. And today we are entering into some really important teaching about the kingdom. It's really practical for us as Christians. And here it is. In a nutshell, Jesus brings us into the mystery of how the kingdom of God is at the same time already a present reality and a reality that is not yet fully here. That the kingdom of God is the already not yet kingdom. And that's what we're going to be considering this morning. But as we study God's word, we need to open up with a prayer. We need to ask God for his help as we do this. So will you pray with me? Living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we confess our need. We need your help this morning. For we cannot understand the words we've heard without the illumination of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come Make your word alive to us. Open our minds to receive what it is that you, Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord, would say to us this morning and how that would impact our lives. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. So very simply this morning, we're going to consider the first part, the already of the kingdom, and then we're going to move to consider the not yet part. So let's look at the already. The scene opens in our text with Luke recounting a time when Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, and and the Pharisees were a very strict religious group of lay leaders in Jesus's day, and they ask him, You know, Jesus, we've been wondering about this. We love to talk theology and do that kind of dialogue. Hey, Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? They were deeply shaped by the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and they knew from the Old Testament that a day would come when God's reign would be fully here on earth. 
And so they want to ask this new teacher on the scene, even though he has some eccentric views, they want him to contribute to the dialogue. And look what Jesus answers them in verse 20. He says, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Now, the word observation there refers to to scientifically observing empirical facts to then make logical deductions and conclusions. You see, they want to deduce the details of the arrival of God's kingdom through detailed observation of the evidence. And Jesus tells them, that is not how you deduce the presence of the kingdom. He says, people won't say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, some of you may have translations as you have your Bible open. You're looking maybe at the old NIV or the King James Version, and it says, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, grammatically, the word could go both ways, within or among, but it's clear from the context that among or in your midst is a better translation. Why is that? Because the you here that he's talking to is plural. He's talking to the Pharisees, this group of people who so far have rejected him and his message of the kingdom. So it doesn't make sense to say it's within them because they haven't received it. But he's saying, it's among you. It's in your midst. It's before you. It's within your grasp. You see, they're looking for this future coming of the kingdom. And Jesus tells them, guys, it's all ready here. The kingdom of God is in your midst. This is about the presence, the kingdom of God, the reign of God is now in your midst. But how? How is it in their midst? Is it just purely spiritual and kind of floating in the air around them so that the enlightened soul can kind of breathe it in and attain to it? Or is it a political ideology that's going to galvanize the Jewish nation in a freedom movement to overthrow the Roman Empire? How exactly is the kingdom present in their midst now? Here's the key. Look who's talking to them. This is how we need to understand the manner in which the kingdom is now present in their midst and in our midst. The manner in which the kingdom is present is in the presence of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the King of the kingdom. It's the presence of Christ. He is in their midst. He is before them. Jesus' presence is the presence of the kingdom. So what are the signs of it? What are the Pharisees missing that they shouldn't be missing? We need to go way back to chapter 4, verse 18, which we studied, it feels like a hundred years ago. Jesus said, quoting in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me. That is priest king language. Kings and priests are anointed for their positions and Messiah means anointed 
one. Jesus is saying, I'm the king and I've been anointed to preach the good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, release to the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's all been happening in his ministry. It's what he does. And his presence and his work are the sign that God's kingdom is here. And the Pharisees have so far rejected him. He's the sign that God is giving to Israel. And they're not accepting him. The kingdom is in your midst, he says. So what about us today? Do we grasp the reality of the kingdom of God now in the presence of Jesus? If the presence of the kingdom is all about the presence of Jesus, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's all well and good, but how do I tap into that? How do we tap into that as the people of God? And brothers and sisters, it's, it's the message of the gospel that when we believe in Jesus, what happens is we're not just sending radio frequencies of faith-filled thoughts into the sky. No, what happens when we place our trust in Jesus is we are united with him in his death. And in our union with him, we have access to him and the power of his risen life. That's what the cross of Jesus opens up for us. That's why he says in our passage today in verse 25, he first had to suffer and be rejected. To go to the cross, to deal with our sin, which the holy presence of God cannot abide and unite us to himself and through him to the Father and to the Spirit, union with Christ is this new situation. It's the situation of salvation that his atoning work brings about. The cross of Christ, putting our faith in Jesus, that's how we tap into this. The other side of it, actually, that we must mention, what brings this into our experience is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus was about to go to the cross to offer that atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world, he told his disciples, getting them ready for his departure, he said to them in John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the counselor, and he's referring to the Holy Spirit, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. It was a good thing for Jesus to leave so that the Holy Spirit might be sent on his disciples to be the counselor, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside us to teach us and rebuke us and move us toward Christ and remind us of what he's said and unite us to him in our experience. Think about it this way. One way to think about the work of the Holy Spirit is that he makes the presence of Jesus portable. He makes the presence of Jesus portable uh, among us. Because of the sending of the Spirit on his people, the presence of Jesus isn't just confined to one time and place like it was in his earthly ministry. But his presence 
is now portable with all of us collectively as the church and personally as believers. We are connected by the Holy Spirit to the life and power of the risen Lord, people of God. Do we know this? Do we know of this connection that the Lord is empowering us with his power to live for him, uh, that he is bringing the reign of God, the kingdom of God into our experience with foretastes of healing and joy and justice and love. Do we live with an under-realized view of the kingdom? Do you think that the kingdom of God is only a future reality uh, that's one day going to come and there's nothing left for us to do as the people of God but hunker down and wait for the sweet by and by? Or do you live in vital connection to and relationship with the risen Lord? It's a question I want you to consider this morning as Jesus brings about to us, the good news that the kingdom is in our midst. I love how Fred Craddock put it. He said, there is unrealized abundance of life now. And Jesus offers it to us in himself, this incredible gift. This is incredible news. The kingdom of God is already present but it's also not yet fully present. It's the already not yet kingdom. And that's the picture, that's the full teaching we get when we take this passage as an entire unit in verse 22. Look there in your Bible with me. Notice that there is a switch in his audience. It says he said to his disciples. He's now talking to his inner circle. He says to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is now talking about the not yet, that future coming of the kingdom. And sometimes that can fill our mind with all kinds of Hollywood apocalyptic images. But let's just stick with what Jesus is saying and try to, to stand under what he wants to communicate to us and lay some of those really fantastical dramatic images aside. And what Jesus is doing by using the, the name Son of Man is he's using the language of the Old Testament, particularly the book of Daniel. In Daniel 7, Daniel's recounting a trippy vision that he has of the future, and he sees one like a son of man, meaning he has a human form, right? He's got a head, arms, and legs. He sees one like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So that's there in the Old Testament. And Jesus is taking that and applying it to himself. And what that vision communicates to us that we, we actually need to live in light of is that history is going to be wrapped up. One day it's going to be wrapped up. It's not just going to continue on and on and on like we often think or feel it will or that our culture thinks it will. There will come a day when history will be wrapped up in a climactic event of revelation and judgment. And so Jesus picks up Daniel's picture of the Son of Man to tell his disciples what it's going to be like 
when this all happens, but we also have a clue as to what he is actually concerned about. Because Jesus has a very pastoral concern with his disciples. Why is he telling them what it's going to be like? Well, the answer is there in verse 22. He says, the time is coming where you, my disciples, will long. You will long for that day. And the word long there, longing, is actually a Greek verb, epithumeo, and it's a really strong word. In other places in the New Testament, it even means to lust after. Jesus is talking about a deep-seated, intense yearning for that day to come. And here's what he's doing. He's looking ahead to the time when he wouldn't be physically with them and his disciples would encounter hostility. And they would weather the hardships of life that we all weather, suffering, hunger, violence, disease, pandemics, pain, and aging. And they would long for the day of the Son of Man when everything sad will come untrue in the great redemption of God. Have you ever had that longing? I I certainly have. But what follows is a warning. That's his pastoral concern. You're going to have this longing, so I need to warn you. Because the kingdom is not yet fully here and you're going to long for it so much, we need to make sure, you need to make sure you keep the main thing, the main thing, and you don't get sidetracked by those who would seek to exploit your longing by those who would seek to exploit that longing for the kingdom for their own gain, to gain a following, to enrich themselves. Look at verse 23. He says, men will tell you, look, there he is. There's the son of man. Or here he is. We've got him. We know when he's coming, he's here. And Jesus warns them. What does he say? He says, do not go running after them. Don't follow those people. Don't let their words and their teaching get you sidetracked from the main thing. And so he tells them what his coming is going to be like. In verse 24, he says, the coming of the Son of Man will be like lightning. Lightning which flashes in the sky from one end to the other. And what he's saying here in the image of lightning, he's saying when it happens, it will be unmistakable. You don't need to go running after these people for fear of missing out on it. It's going to be unmistakably clear. There's no way you're going to miss out on the coming of the kingdom. I mean, think about it. When lightning erupts above your head, do you pause and say, hmm, I wonder if that was lightning. No, you're like, oh my goodness, that was lightning. And you're like ducking for cover, trying to get inside, trying to shelter yourself from this incredibly powerful thing, this obvious thing. That's what he's saying. He's saying when it happens, you'll know. And it won't be just in one place. It will be cosmic, like lightning that lights up the sky from one end to the other. It's not just happening here in that part of the world, in that particular city. It will happen everywhere. It will be cosmic. And what he's saying is, guys, the key is not to know when it's coming. We can't know that. That's hidden in the mystery of God. That's given to the appointment of his sovereign timing. The key is to know how to live now to be ready for when it does. The key isn't to know when it's coming. The key is knowing how to live now to be ready when it does. 
And I want us to get really practical here because I have that longing for the kingdom. And I know many of you have that longing for the day. And as Jesus tells us to beware of of running after different people, I want to share a brief story about my grandma. And grandma, if you're watching this, because I know you probably are, I love you and I share this with such affection for you. A few years ago, my grandma gave me a call on my phone to tell me that a Nigerian prince had emailed her and he needed help. He had, you know, this long heartfelt plea for my grandma to help him out financially. And when she received this, I think, you know, she's a trusting person. She's a lovely person. And so maybe there was part of her that wanted to help, but she also, to her credit, had the discernment to say, hmm, I actually need to ask someone about this. I'm not sure if this is legitimate. So she gives me a call and she tells me, a Nigerian prince has emailed me and, and uh, he, he needs my help. And when she told me, I felt this protective instinct for her, right? Like my grandma is this honest, truthful, godly, caring person. And she's not familiar with all the scams that are out there, right? So I warned her. I just said, Grandma, this so-called Nigerian prince is misleading you. He's going to try to take advantage of you. Don't even respond. And that protective instinct is what I feel towards some of you in the church. When I hear of some of the TV programs you watch or the the booklets you read or the YouTube channels you follow that focus on cracking the biblical code and making secret claims to the knowledge of the when and the where of Jesus' return, I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, don't run after them. But you might come back at me with the objection, but Pastor Andrew, they're teaching the Bible. They're, they're just using the Bible, right? It's, they're, they're pointing me all these places where it's in the Bible so, so I can trust them. Are they teaching the Bible? You need to be aware in this day and age where anyone can publish their opinions and have it broadcast to the world in a day of internet, internet and social media. You need to be aware not just that people are claiming to teach the Bible. You need to know how they're teaching it. Did you know that there are Bible teachers in the antebellum south and around the world in the 1600s, 1700s, and 1800s who taught the Bible to justify the institution of slavery and the transatlantic slave trade? Do you know that? They were teaching the Bible. No, they were grossly abusing the Bible, the word of God. And I I want you to know I say this with affection for you and a desire for you to remain in the truth. Let's not be naive. Let's discern. Not just whether people are saying, yeah, I'm teaching the Bible. Look here, 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 and here. It's all in the Bible. How are they teaching the Bible? Are they ripping passages, bleeding from their contexts to make them say what they want them to say? Just want to remind you of that helpful phrase from Don Carson. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. How are they teaching the Bible? Are they teaching the whole counsel of God? Or are they just picking and choosing and emphasizing details? Or are they leading you to the center of the faith, which is Jesus Christ himself and his cross and resurrection and the kingdom? To my knowledge, Jesus never said 
I'm leaving you a scavenger hunt in the Bible and it's your job to solve it. What he did say is this in Acts 1, 7, and 8. He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Christ himself and his gospel and being witnesses to him are the main thing, the central thing. He left us with a mission, not to know the times or dates, but to be his witnesses, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything. He commanded, friends, honestly, the time is too short to get sidetracked by curiosities and speculations that will not lead us into knowledge, truth, godliness, or deeper intimacy with Christ or participation in that mission he has left us. The time is frankly too short. And if you're afraid that you're gonna miss out, when the Son of Man comes, it will be unmistakable. But now keep the main thing, the main thing, and be ready. So first, the, the not yet kingdom will be unmistakable. Second of all, our text leads us to say it is also personal. Look at verses 34 and 35. Let's read that. He says, I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed and one will be taken and the other left. Two mo- women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. What's this about? I mean, some of us, when we hear this honestly, uh, our minds go to scenes from the Left Behind movies that came out in the year 2000, right? When one moment people are hanging out together and then the next moment you know half the people are in the room are gone and their clothes are like laid out neatly where they were sitting or standing. And it's like this, you know, the rapture happened and, and we didn't see it and now we're left behind. Is that what this verse is telling us? You see, We're not gonna open that whole can of worms right now, but if you're starting to go down that road and you're thinking Jesus is now entering into a 19th century and 20th century debate about the millennium, I just wanna bring you back from that rabbit trail. Let's come back from that rabbit trail to hear what he's really saying, what he is saying. These verses in their context mean that that line of the kingdom, in other words, the judgment of God will divide even the closest relations those who are in bed together, or a married couple, siblings, co-workers, one will be taken, the other left. Look at verse 33. This makes it so clear. He says, whoever, right? And that whoever, that's addressed to each one of us. That's personal. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. And Jesus is talking about the need for everyone to personally place their trust in him, to give over the title of their life to him. That's what it means to lose your life. It's it's about giving him your life and making him first in all things and above all else. And guess what? No one else can do that for you. And Jesus isn't gonna force you to do it. It's personal. You have to yield your will 
So just, again, making this really practical. You, husband, you've been coming to church for years and you let your wife drag you here, but it's more her thing, right? And you kind of sit in the pew and like, this silent resistance and you keep God at arm's length, you've got to know her faith won't get you in. You need to give Christ your life. Or maybe you're listening right now and you've got a coworker who's been telling you about Jesus for years and you like what you've heard. You know, he's a good moral teacher. I like his values and ideas. They seem to make sense, but you haven't given your life to him. You haven't taken him as your Savior and Lord, let me tell you, your friend's faith can't save you. You need to give him your life. And that's how you live now to be ready for when he comes. You place your basic life trust in Jesus. You take him as your Lord and Savior and you follow him. That's what these verses are about. There's no group on on this one. There's no two-for-one deal on the kingdom. And there's no use banking on the faith of others to get you in. It is personal. And this should stir up a bit of urgency in us. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus Christ is in your midst. He's reaching out to you. He's within your grasp, and no one else can grasp him for you. You need to decide, am I in or am I out? Am I ready for his return? And let me tell you, the question needs to be settled now. Because lightning, as you know, is sudden. So the coming of the Son of Man in the not yet will be unmistakable, and it will be personal. And and I hope what we've been starting to see as we looked at the already and the not yet is that the presence of the kingdom in the already and the not yet is centered on the person of Jesus. In verse 30, it says that the day of Son of Man, this is what it is. It's that the Son of Man will be revealed. That's what's going to happen. It'll be the full disclosure of Jesus of Nazareth as the cosmic king of the universe. He's the lamb who sits on the throne of God in all his holiness and majesty and sovereignty. Of course he is that already, but then it's like the curtain is gonna be pulled back and what he always was will be so plainly and palpably seen by every single person, believers and non-believers alike. A day is coming when the Son of Man will be revealed. So friends, let's live now to apprehend by faith the fullness of the person and work of Jesus Christ, leaving none of the grace behind that he intends for us to have. And let's be his witnesses to live ready for his return in glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.